Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, we sit down with legendary model Chris Collins. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. Thank you, everybody, and welcome to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I'm your host, Zach Miko. How's everybody doing today? I hope everyone's having a great Memorial Day. I hope your spring has been great, despite all of the rain. It's been raining for a long time, but we had a little bit of nice weather, so that's nice. Uh, Our editor, Josh, actually works at the Weather Channel, and he lets me know that every day is terrible. Global warming's real, and we're all going to die. On that happy note... (laughs) No, but seriously, hopefully we get better weather soon. I know talking about the weather is lame, but I just got a new backyard, and I can't use it because it's raining all the time. So that sucks. Anyway, I hope everyone's having a great Memorial Day. Hope it's not raining. I don't know if it's not raining because it's the day before, so I'm hoping it's not raining tomorrow. Um, We have a great episode for you guys this week. I sit down with legendary male model Chris Collins. It's going to be an awesome episode. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And it's a great time. So Chris Collins uh, has been in it for 20-plus years now. Um, He's mainly known for his work with Ralph Lauren. Or Ralph Lauren. I work in this business. I should know whether it's Lauren or Lauren. Regardless, Chris Collins has done over 60 campaigns with them. He's had an amazing career coming up in the 90s and into now. Chris Collins is actually one of the first male models I worked with personally. We worked for King Size together. We've worked on a couple other brands, but mainly with King Size. And I was very new to the game. Chris took me under his wing and really showed me how to do it and really showed me what it meant to be a real gentleman with class in this industry. And I owe him more than he'll ever know because he's just an amazing mentor such a so generous with his time and it was awesome to actually get to sit down and talk with him and we just had such a good time because him and I have spent hours and hours and hours on set together talking in the trailer about life and to actually get to sit down and do it and record it and listen back was was really cool it was a cool trip we're going to talk about the industry we're going to talk about everything from gentrification to race relations to his new fragrance line uh, he actually just released fragrance Worlds of Chris Collins, the alchemy of fragrance. It smells so good, guys. You're going to have to get it. So I met up with Chris Collins in his restored Harlem brownstone to talk about everything I wanted to talk about and some stuff that you guys might have wanted me to talk about, too. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my interview with Chris Collins. gentlemen i am here with the legend himself chris Ooh. collins legend. yeah what do you mean legend yeah well, i guess after 20 years of doing anything you become a legend exactly good <laughs> exactly man i was actually just talking to a past guest i was talking to um 
uh, Kelvin Davis, he's another big and tall model, and he mm. was talking about how when he was growing up, you were one of his idols. No. So he'll love this. Wait, how old is he, though? <laughs> he's, I don't know, in his 30s. Okay. So you're good. All right. <laughs> I'm like, damn, how old am I? Hello. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I don't know. I, don't, I actually don't know. Early yeah. 30s, okay. I'd say. Yeah. Well, I'm 43 now, so. Exactly. Yeah. I'm still young. Started as a teenager. Let's say that. <laughs> yeah. Started as a baby. Exactly. He was two. <laughs> So you're originally from Patterson, New Jersey. I am. I grew up in New Jersey, not too far from here. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been traveling like crazy, and then ended up settling here in New York, and yeah, I'm still close to home. So it's, it's and a I good know deal. you have a you have a twin brother. I have a twin. Yeah. And then, do you have any other siblings? No, just him. Just my twin. Just my um, my other half. You know, he's a uh, he lives over in Jersey still. Yeah. And he's a school teacher, and um, yeah, man, he's. I, I call him the better half, the more charming, more handsome half. He is very handsome. Yeah, <laughs> very handsome. Um, speaking of like, when you first started modeling, got yeah. discovered. Did you? Was your brother ever like, what the fuck? <laughs> I like, mean, we were twins. What the fuck? I think he started hearing a little bit of chatter from other people. Yeah, he actually attempted to do it he you know he, he played football in michigan so he was always big dude yeah yeah so then he lost like 30 pounds and he looked ridiculous and then he started trying to find photographers and started shooting and then he realized it wasn't as easy as it looked and everyone he said, he said fuck this i'm going back to uh i'm going back to uh you know teaching every single person is at that i've ever like i've worked with a couple people where it's like their first shoot or it's like yeah you know, a guest or like a celebrity that like doesn't do photo shoots, and they're mm. always like, "That's always the thing." They're always like, "This is way harder than it looks." Oh, everyone thinks like, it's so yeah, easy. It's yeah. a lot of work. It's it's not easy, you know. And you get you know, no offense to anyone who's you know on social media calling themselves models and all that stuff, but it's not easy. No, you know? and I was shooting with one guy, um, who's a ex football player, and mm. he's like, he goes, "I'd rather run drills twenty four hours back to back <laughs> than spend a day shooting." He goes, "I've never been so tired." I was like, "Yeah, it's a different." type of tired it it's, is. it's mentally exhausting it's true it wears on you like it, it becomes something that you literally need to either check out or refocus or do whatever you need to do to get through it but it is not easy because it's it's something that you expect to be easy yeah so then when it is it is more exhausting well our whole job is to make it look easy and right. make it look as natural as possible 100 so people are always just like oh that looks I could do that. And yeah. you're like, yeah, I mean, you could, but you're going to have a harder right. time of it than you thought you were. Exactly. And then the main point is actually, you know, I think that they believe it's, you know, well, I look like this, so I can do this. Yeah. Which is a lot of beautiful people in this world. But at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with how you look. It's basically how you translate or communicate with the person actually looking at whatever ad you're exactly. in. And it's all about the clothes. So if you don't sell merchandise or clothing or whatever, it doesn't matter how good you look. Yeah. No, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that's always the thing. I remember, so you and I have worked together on King Size, mm -hmm. and I remember it was the same thing. Even when I first shot with them, it was kind of like, I did like one day, they mm. weren't sure, and they wait. They're like, it, it is about the selling of the clothes. They're like, we're going to put like three pictures out of you, mm -hmm. and based on how much those three items sell is determined whether you're getting rebooked or not. If you sell one shirt, they will put you in that same shirt and actually put you in the same position where you sold that shirt. Yeah. If you were looking oh. left <laughs> in There's this one, one shirt, you will look left in that other shirt because they will 
anticipate that you will sell the exact same item just as much as you sold it before. There was a, there's one shirt I think you and me have been seeing for three years that keeps going between you and me. Just, just, the, just this black and orange like yeah. floral Hawaiian yeah. shirt. I used to shoot. I think when I was shooting for you know Ralph Lauren for about you know two decades. Yeah, I can remember like a couple of shirts in particular that I would shoot that I shot literally for the entire time I was doing it. Yeah, because that's you know it's it's all the science to them. They have all these algorithms and whatever. Yeah, and, and they know. have every they keep track of every single yeah. number you possibly can imagine. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um. So how did you originally was modeling? No, I, I, it's never. I always ask that question where I'm like, "Who's modeling?" Always an intent. It's never anyone no. who models professionally never yeah. wanted to be a model, right? And usually the ones who are really successful, you know, had other things going on and they didn't aspire yeah. to actually do it. Um, but yeah, you know, I was in college playing basketball, and mm-hmm. I was pre med. I was studying to be a doctor. Man, there was nothing in the back of my mind that ever made me think or even want to be a model but you know at the time this is when like you know Tyson Beckford was like really big yeah so you know I kept getting all these comparisons of him and you should do this you should do that and I was like no 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 I want to be a doctor I don't want to do that you know you know the guys who do that are not smart you know this is the, the thoughts I had when I was well, a you have, 21 yeah, year old you got stereotypes you know? about it. I always right. thought models were dumb I mean to this day people still think that but yeah now that I've you know done it I mean, I think completely different, but, um, models, there's been models that have been the smartest people I know. What's her name? Uh, Carly Kloss is one of the biggest supermodels right now. And she's Mm -hmm. running a computer coding camp for girls. I know it's, 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 there's some really smart, really creative, you know, men and women in this business. But you know, back then, you know, I had no idea until I met people like you and people along the way. So, you know, I always kind of shunned it until I was approached like, you know, the, the whole, story in the mall situation where someone comes up to you and it's agent like oh yeah you know you want me to come over? can you come over to the city and we can take a few photos and and then one thing led to another and then yeah got an agency met ralph and i guess the rest as they say is history what was your first agency boss oh awesome yeah 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 boss models was the first agency but um they they screwed up big time did they yeah I mean, they have financial problems. I mean, that was like yeah, because they're not around anymore, are they? No, I was gonna say. I remember Wait, hearing you know about I them. I think back they actually the might be, but not the way. I mean, at one point we had like number one men's agency yeah. in the world, and then they screwed it up for financial reasons. But you know, I had checks bouncing all over the place and things happening. Jesus. But yeah, but you know what? It was a it was a lesson learned, and that was my introduction to Ralph. So yeah, I guess in the end, it was worth it. So how did you get like for okay so for any of my audience that doesn't know even yeah. though I pro- I probably mentioned this in the intro um you've been Ralph's one of Ralph's main guys for 20 plus years 20 plus at this point yeah because you were stop counting at 20 because you were doing it absolutely forever with him and you still are modeling with him on occasion now yeah because yeah. you've done over 60 ad campaigns for him probably like, more than that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was, yeah yeah, after two twenty years, yeah, we did you know a lot. Yeah, it was yeah, let's just say sixty. Sixty, I like sixty. <laughs> yeah, six is a good number. Yeah, always keep the numbers round. Exactly. They're easier to exactly. remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how how did the actual introduction to Ralph Lauren happen? I guess it was just like a normal casting, just like any other casting you would go to. Um, my agent 
you know, sent me over and I sat and met, you know, you had to go through the ranks and meet whoever you need to meet. Yeah. And then I remember one time in particular, I was in Miami and my agent looked up at me. I walked into the office. I just landed and I walked into the office and my agent looked at me and said, did you ever meet Bruce Weber? I said, no, never. He said, well, he's here. Maybe you should go meet him because he lived in Miami at the time. Mm-hmm. So I went over and I met him and you know, he was like, well, this will be great. You know, and you know, I, through him, I met Ralph directly because Ralph usually likes to meet his guys because he wants to know, you know, what you're all about, you know, you know, what's your mindset? Are you a smart guy? All this other stuff. So yeah, I met Bruce and then Bruce was my introduction to Ralph. And then, uh, and then after that, you know, I just stayed part of the family, just shot with him. Yeah. I can see him being very, you know, wanting to know the guys inside it out. Cause oh, yeah. I've, I've met very few of the designers I've actually worked for. Right. But Ralph Lauren has done such a good job of becoming such a lifestyle brand. Right. That he's like, he, I'm, I can see him being like yeah. anyone I meet needs to exude the lifestyle 100%. I'm trying to put out there. Everything he do, does is very meticulous you know, and calculated, and he wants to make sure that whoever is shooting with or for him, that they're going to represent his brand, you know? And yeah. and you're right, it's all about this lifestyle that he portrays, and if you don't exude that or if you're not part of it, then what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Um, so when you first started modeling with him, did you do, was it a huge difference in your modeling career? Because you went from being successful still working but Mm. ralph lauren had been like the it brand for so long that changed the game i mean back then late 90s the money was better um i know the shoots were more exotic that's all i ever hear from my agents and whatnot they're like back in the day there was no such thing as half days and all that crap it was like i used to go from so at that point when you worked with ralph when you when they had because they had department stores they worked with like bloomingdale's Macy's, all that stuff so they would only use the guys that they had on their lists, mm-hmm. right? So I would literally go from, and one day I would go from like Macy's straight to Bloomingdale, straight to Lord and Taylor, whatever it is that I had to do, one shot each, and I would make like a full day's rate three times in one day. Jeez. I mean, the money was just crazy yeah. back then. And um, the usage was so much less. Like uh, I, I did a, I just recently did a job for a German company yeah. where the usage was two weeks because they had a pamphlet coming out. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to do this. And then that's done. And my agent weeks. was like, that's the way it used to be. They yeah. <laughs> used to do it. It's like now they get a picture of you, they'll run it for two years. They run it <laughs> like, for a lifetime. Sometimes yeah. they won't even tell you when they rerun it. So, yeah. A- <laughs> I texted you from the middle of Georgia <laughs> you remember that? at a department store. I was just like. I don't even remember shooting that. I was like, <laughs> I don't like, who is that person? It looked like it was something that was like when I was younger, when it was like I was 20 something. You know, yeah. No, it was definitely a younger photo of you. And I was kind of like, oh, you should. You should call about uh I know and it would take, <laughs> what the usage of this. It would was. take me. It would take me longer. It would I take know. me twenty more years to get paid from it. So exactly, it's, like, it's not no, even worth it. Not even worth it. No. Oh, that's funny. I, the same thing happens to me, where they'll be like, "Oh, we saw your picture in you know this company," and I'll yeah. be like, "I shot that like three years ago. I had no idea they were still using that photo." But exactly. cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just part of the game, you yeah. know. So you know, I, just, I mean, it was always like this kind of like level of prestige to kind mm-hmm. of be part of, you know, uh, a company like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, you know, and, and you know what, I took that position pretty seriously because, you know, I would, 
use it to my advantage. I would represent the company as best I can. I would, you know, do charity uh, functions. Yeah. I would write for them. I would do all kind of stuff. So, you know, kind of being involved in something with, uh, you know, a man like Ralph and in the company like his, you know, was something that kind of helped me with my introduction into luxury. Yeah. Um, which, you know, now and kind of, you know, catapulted me to this like level of, you know, guess sophistication or prestige whatever you want to say just by being affiliated with the company totally no it's definitely a different like i work for a lot of clients but i don't work for any luxury clients right yet. at the moment at the moment yeah fingers crossed yeah if anyone you've been wants in to the business a few years someone exactly it's me. still very early but i haven't like and you can, there is such a difference when i do even at shows or like fashion events and i meet like the people doing luxury there's yeah. this weird class system where i'm just like oh yeah. that's zach he's the well, he's good. he's doing well, but he's like the catalog shopping mall guy, and yeah, we're the <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it was a different time. Yeah, yeah. You know, had you been here twenty years ago, you know, when you know all these companies were, there was no such thing as like categories. It was just men. As yeah. a matter of fact, when I first started, all the men were my size. Yeah. You know, so no, it was they, just like they've gotten no, much. There wasn't plus. There wasn't big and tall. There wasn't yeah. too skinny. There was just men. Yeah, you know, so it's just a completely different time right now, and you know, being in the business for the twenty years and seeing how it changed and yeah. evolved is just something. Well, that's because when yeah, especially when in your heyday it was everyone was a very stereotypical, broad-shouldered, fit, yeah, good-looking guy. Sample size was a large, yeah, which was. <laughs> I would 34, love 34 it. stuff was just like kind of baggy on me. I would know? love it if a sample yeah. size was, I'd still can't fit in it. Yeah, but, well, I mean, <laughs> but now it's be, a schmedium. Nobody could fit in anything. It's not, it's less than a medium. Like My the mediums are stuff. so it's a, it's a medium skinny. So yeah. you're just like, what is this? No, it's, it's completely different. Yeah. And you know, I was told that the reason why the samples got smaller is because it's cheaper to make smaller samples, which makes sense. You know, I, and I, which I totally get, but that's been something that always confuses me. Like, because I work with a lot of brands who haven't done big and tall before, mm. and they always cite sample size. And I understand it's cheaper to make a smaller one, mm -hmm. but you're not making ten thousand samples. You're making mm -hmm. a couple samples for the design team to look at exactly. and then tweak. So I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, if the fabric's more expensive, I get it. Mm -hmm. But you're buying a single garment. Like I, I just, right. I've, I've never understood that. And also, like. Of it. Sample size is so small, so that means that the guys you shoot are going to be small. Yeah. So is this going to be the customer that's going to buy your stuff? I mean, yeah. Ralph Lauren was selling to men. Yeah. So it made sense to shoot men. And Ralph Lauren is also one of the brands that has always done big and tall stuff. Like, right. they don't, maybe, it's not advertised as heavily as I would like it to be advertised, right. but it's always existed. Right. If you go to the Macy's, if you go to DXL, it's always been there, which mm -hmm. is something I've always appreciated. I wonder when, when that actually happened, when there was a, like a distinction of big and tall, because that wasn't, that would, that did not exist back then. Yeah. So, well, well, there is a trend in our society where people are bigger. Of now, course. In general. Especially here in America. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's always been, um, there's always been bigger people, but now I feel like a, a higher majority of people are larger. But it's not only that, it's that larger people now are more confident in themselves and actually want to look nice in of what course. they wear. Because for a long time they were just shopping at Walmart, and now they're at the point where they're like, right. 
And then the market the market figured that out. They were yeah. like, okay, well, there's men and women, they're bigger, and they also have dollars to spend. Yeah. So either we advertise in them or we lose that whole chunk yeah. of, like, potential, you know, of the market. So they're like, well, you know, shit. I mean, you know, they're, you know, look at all these ad campaigns where they just shoot women who are bigger in size. And they're like, you know, I am beautiful, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, I am woman. And, you know, they're actually going for an advertising. Who's the girl who shot the Sports Illustrated? Beautiful Ashley girl. Graham. Ashley Graham. Yeah. I mean, she is the poster child of like, you know, and you since, don't have to be this skinny to be beautiful and confident exactly. and all that stuff. And since she's been on the cover, they were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Let's keep going with it. So since then, Ashley Graham shot with them again. Hunter McGrady's been there. Mm. Tabria Majors. All these amazing uh, plus models who would have, ne- like, even three years ago, no. would have never gotten the time they of day. would have never had a shot in hell because they, they used to be this, um, this list or whatever <clears throat> requirements before you can even walk through the door of an agency. Yeah. You got to be this tall, mm-hmm. this skinny. I've actually been in agencies before in Europe where they have like measuring tape. Just like on the door? On the door. So Jeez. if you walk in, if you're a girl, you walk in, you get measured every day. Yeah. That's sick, man. It's, it's a lot of that has changed, but it's definitely still there. Like yeah. for me, I'm a little lucky because I'm kind of forging a new path in a way. There aren't any rules at <laughs> what right. like what only big and tall guys can do because you've done a lot of big and tall work, but you're still, you're way smaller than I am. Right. And, but I'm still bigger than the average. You're bigger than the average guy. Definitely. But I, but you can do straight sizes. I can't. So it's kind of like, they have to be a big and tall. Right. People for me to wear. They book and Zach, they know that they better have some big shit. They better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've had some, you and I together have had some samples that that have been amazingly large where when every now and then for certain companies, I'll put on, Mm-hmm. A sample, and somehow a mistake will happen in the ordering, and they'll right. send like an eight X. Yeah, because it's like, a sample; it could be too small, or too big, right? and it'll just be it's yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah, yeah. some of the stuff. Yeah, but um, but no, I've, it's it's definitely it's changing, and I actually want to know that as someone who um grew up in kind of the heyday, like made their way in the heyday of what it was to be a model. Right. How do you feel about the increase in size diversity since that's happened? I think it's great. I mean, I did um, this talk on E Mm -hmm. uh, talking about, you know, the diversity of body types, diversity of people, um, different cultures, races, you know, it's just, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sign of the times. It's just talking about like what's going on right now. You yeah. know, it's like, well, if you want to portray that every single person is this body type, you're falsifying your message. You're not even yeah. talking about what's actually really happening Yeah, because there are different body types. There's shorter, there's taller, there's wider, there's longer, there's, you know, there's different races, there's different, it's, yeah. it's all over the, all over the place. So these companies, they have to say to themselves, Either we show it or we're going to get left behind because other mm-hmm. companies are doing it. So now the other companies caught up and, you know, it's just, you know, back then when I first started, that didn't ex- exist. Yeah. I mean, you were, I mean, you and Tyson Beckford and a handful of others, there weren't a lot of culturally diverse no. models at no. all. Mm-hmm. And a matter of fact, that's what kind of made you and uh, my friend Kelvin, who was on a previous episode, he called out you and Tyson Beckford specifically because he even said that. He goes, they were the only ones. The like only He ones. goes, me as a young black man, 
they were the only ones I could look up to right. and like right. and and feel good about myself because he was always into fashion, but he right. he couldn't do right. anything. Right, and, and and I think you know, you know, and it saddens me, saddens me to say this, but it's better, but it's still not where it should be. No, you know? no, I no, mean no. it still should be more diverse. It still be Absolutely. should be you know more. Asians and Middle Eastern yeah. and African Americans and Spanish and I mean the world is so diverse and the world is so beautiful I mean it should just be like this rainbow Absolutely. of color and all the ads and that's the thing is we spent the fashion industry spent so many years being like you have to be a six foot tall and white and and four percent body fat right in order to be considered attractive or be considered a model right. and slowly I mean, they started coming out in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Even Tyson became big. Mm -hmm. Even with size diversity, mm -hmm. Emmy came along and actually was working, and people right. were amazed by it. And right. and in the fashion business, because of that, it was uh, it was like we would whatever African American male. I can't speak for the women because I think yeah. women, you know, they shoot more. They have their 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 experience in modeling is completely different than ours. But exactly. for men, <clears throat> it was like this thing where for every big job there was just one spot for a man of color yeah so it would be me and every single african-american or person of color let's say in new york city mm -hmm. or around the world <laughs> fighting for this one position i mean thank god ralph said you know what we like you yeah so, no. I mean, but it's it you're absolutely right it, yeah. i think that's something that is even not just in fashion, but also in like Hollywood and TV, they're also true. still dealing with it. Absolutely, is they still? I heard a a, a producer say once that they didn't want to hire um, two Indian guys. There was two Indian guys up for the role, but they were, but they both liked them, and there were other roles, and mm -hmm. they could have just cast them both together. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we can't cast two Indian guys because then it becomes a show about Indian guys. It's unbelievable. And you're kind of like, wait, what? Because the show had nothing to do with the fact that they were Indian. Exactly. They were just being people. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's so constant, crazy. It's just constant barrier breakage that has to keep happening. And it's happening in fashion. It's happening in television. It's just happening all over. And all the actors, there's so many talented actors yeah. and actresses. And... They all got to fight for that one spot. I know. You know, they unless do. unless there's a person that comes out and says, I'm going to do something like Black Panther and do an all-black cast. Which was awesome. Unbelievable. That movie was so good. I mean, it, it was just, it was it was a good movie. It didn't matter yeah. if it was all-black cast, all-white cast, all-Indian cast. It was a great film. But that's usually what has to happen. There has to be yeah. someone that says this is what we're going to do because exactly. you know the, the the big studios they're like well we need to have more of you know less of you know people of color i guess because they think maybe sales aren't going to be as good as they well, should their, be their target demographic is has for years it's changing now always been white people aged 24 to 35 in, and, in hollywood and ho in hollywood yeah. specifically they're like that's who they're always looking to please that's who advertisers and tv consider like the the greatest people because they're fucked up and it's an old school it's racist old thinking school. they're like well that's what they did in the 1950s like yeah because mm -hmm. of segregation and oppression people of other <laughs> cultures weren't allowed to like exactly to have a say in anything right like they couldn't afford to buy these things they right. couldn't do this so now it's it's so because i think 
in 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 fashion and in um entertainment i mm-hmm. i think uh diversity along all lines whether it be racial size or age or or gender i think it's amazing how backwards thinking everything still is and they're like well we didn't used to do these and you're like well because you didn't used to treat these people like people exactly and that's why (laughs) now you're 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 like well this is just the way we've done it for years and years and years right and now it's you know it's just about like these companies actually understanding the power of the dollar of these people that they are not advertising towards and we prove that Black, Black Panther, Panther became one of the most profitable movies in film I history. I guarantee it will change the way these people. When I say these people, I mean like the the industry upper, you know, yeah. the studio heads or whatever. They're like, wait a minute, this shit this blew. I went to see it. Every record. I went to see it a week after it came out. And the line was out the theater and around the block crazy. still. And I, it's crazy. And it was something, the reason why it was so successful was because finally it, was, it gave like, you know, people of color and people such as yourself where you're colorblind, you don't care. You mm-hmm. just want to see a good movie. It, it showed the power of you actually making something that is speaking to different people. Yeah. If you don't, you're limiting. It's a, I mean, how long has you know has the black world waited for something a like superhero this. something to show that they were exceptional not like right. some weird thing like and that's what's so good about like black hood, panther movies like rapper, and wakanda right. yeah not some guy who grinded from the bottom and made it up because mm-hmm. th- that is a story that is still important to tell 100%. and we love it but it, it changes something to be like no they were always powerful rich intelligent advanced 100 percent. It, it changes and that as a as a young white man it's something i grew up seeing every superhero looked similar to me well you grew up in i grew up in connecticut which well, is bridgeport local, though bridgeport which is bridgeport is, is so that's the thing just so you just so the audience knows you know bridgeport is no joke man it was a weird little bubble between bridgeport and stratford in that area of connecticut because mm. the rest of connecticut was so mm-hmm. white and mm-hmm. so what crazy wealthy like right. insanely wealthy yeah so living in bridgeport and the stratford area where we were more ethnically diverse mm-hmm. where bridgeport was majority black and spanish stratford was still majority white but the other i'd say 40 50 percent were still black and spanish so i grew up yeah with black friends and with latino friends and with which is shaped the way the- you see the world so yeah you know, when I grew up in Patterson, I remember we had to go to Bridgeport because I was playing bas- high school basketball. Who were you playing against? I don't, I don't know. It was like an all-star game. It was like we we took the, like the best from Jersey and then played like the best from Connecticut. You know, it was God, a long know. time ago. And I remember showing up in Bridgeport and looking around like, this place is no joke, man. I mean, it's this, rough. I mean, it's a little rough around the edges over here because I had this perception that Connecticut was like you just described it. Just a lot of wicker furniture and vineyard vines. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I was like surprised. I was like, okay. And then when you told me you were from there, I could, you know, I, you know, I understood, you know, why your outlook on everything is just so open and, you know, colorblind and, you know, I, because that's where you grew up. But most people, you know, who are white, maybe they mm-hmm. might not. I didn't, 
it's something I didn't realize until I started because I've always been in the New York, New England area. So I've been spoiled right. in the fact that I grew up, you know, near New York City, but also right. near Boston and near Providence and New Haven and Hartford and right. and Albany and I, you know, all all cities that have always been diverse, mm-hmm. or at least you know for the last couple hundred years have been <laughs> diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I started really traveling the country that I realized how separate races are in right? other places. It's crazy. And it, different and it, countries, it's unbelievable. And, and even it, around America. No, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. And, I love when people specifically say. Specifically in America. I love when people say, <clears throat> oh, you live in America. I love. Uh, no, excuse me. Oh, you live in New York. I love New York. I can't wait to get there. I love America. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, you want to visit New York or you want to visit America? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because, you know, New York is definitely in America, but New York is like this microcosm of something that is completely different of what you're going to see if you go to the South, you go to the Midwest, because it's more segregated. We are this like, like, we're like this jumbo this soup of like different cultures, different religions, different races different that we coexist, everything. different everything, which makes New York incredibly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's New York is beautiful because of that. Well, even from its founding early on, like one of the reasons New York has always been so diverse is because it's where everyone comes in immigrating, and it was Through the only large city in um, in America at that time in the 1700s, especially mm-hmm. that really prioritized um, diversity of religion. Their freedom of religion was crazy important well, in New York City. It, and it was necessary because look at all the cultures that you let come in. Well, exactly. that everyone came in. came in to work. Not only and that from the very beginning, there were a lot of Jewish merchants uh, merchants that came in, so they were very concerned. They're like, "No, we don't want to live in yeah. a puritanical." And that's why they were arguing with you New had England. The Irish, you had yeah, yeah, you had everyone. The Dutch, they all came in. And, you know, this is what New York, you know, this country was founded on, immigration, differences of culture, differences of religion. I mean, I think that that's what makes, you know, New York and to a certain extent all of America, you know, beautiful because there is this kind of mix. But it's it's not everywhere. And you can go to some places and you can feel really segregated oh yeah even as a white person you can go to some places and there'll be you know even when i was in the philippines and the white person it was like i was a i'm also very tall so yeah. that helped but yeah. i was like I, you're not I, gonna go unnoticed i was like an act i would walk down the yeah. street and everyone would turn around and be like what is that exactly. coming through that's like when i was in tokyo i was walking around you know i was in shibuya like it was all crazy and packed and I'm like six foot three black guy and everyone is just like maybe about five ten and they're all looking up at me like who the hell is this, is this Godzilla? I mean they were looking at me like I was crazy. Did anyone ask to take pictures with you? Just being there? You know what? I noticed that a lot of the especially in Japan, yeah. the culture because of the culture, they're they're more reserved. Yeah. Actually a lot of them look down when they're walking because they don't I think it's just it's just not down, but like maybe straight, and they don't really stare, they don't do all that kind yeah. of stuff. So not really, but I can tell that it was like that. You know, they knew exactly where I was, and because I just stood out. Yeah, I've heard um, like some of my black friends who travel <clears throat> have told stories about how when they go to an Asian country, mm-hmm. getting their picture taken with strangers yeah. is one of the things in Thailand that happens. That happens just yeah. because they're just like because they they don't yeah. they don't see people. They don't. <laughs> it's no, Mm-mm. it's crazy to me. Well, and they're that's interested the, though. Oh, they're which very is, interested, very cool. and very, it's not even very like curious, very inquisitive about. I mean, because I think, and you know, I'm just assuming that you know, 
I think with you know people of color and Asians, we're still mm-hmm. considered in that little minority bubble. So it's almost in like America this intrigue yeah. in America, especially. So there's this intrigue about you know, well, you know, what's up with you? You know, what's up with you? You know, let's let's, yeah. let's meet and try to see you know what our similarities are. And you know, of course, you know, there's different cultures, but you know, it's it's just like this kind of interest, yeah, in one another. You know, it's 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 cool. It's yeah. it's. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about living in New York is New York has a way of you do become like colorblind in a, in a way. But yeah. in New York, it's not that we're like, oh, we're all one culture and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's equal. I mean, we do think everyone's equal, but the but we know there's a lot of different cultures. I'm like, no, he's a completely different culture than I am. Right. But we're coexisting right. and I'm going to eat at his restaurant exactly. and he's, you know talking to me and every it's it's very right and that to it's me, a it's a coexisting of so many different cultures mm-hmm. peacefully and happily i mean there's always going to be a couple assholes but as far as yeah because you know and and you know i used to love <clears throat> that word or two words on with a hyphen i don't know what it is to coexist it's like cultures people couples family members mm-hmm. you have to figure out a way to coexist with yeah. one another with your neighbor, with groups of people who don't look like you, groups of people who don't talk like you, you just have to figure out a way to coexist. And those who don't want to figure that out or choose not to, then those are the people that are racist. Yeah. Those who are open and, you know, uh, you know, and very able and willing to coexist with other people and not just people of your same either sex or religion or culture. Those are the people that make the world beautiful and open. And um, what I would hope that everyone kind of would figure out. Totally. And and there's a big difference um, piggybacking off of that with coexisting. There's there's people that are curious. There's a huge difference between people who are ignorant and people who are racist, 100%. as you said. Right. Because there are people who are ignorant. Because ignorance is the know. lack of knowledge. They yeah. have no idea. They grew up very secluded. Mm-hmm. They don't actually really know. You know? So those are the people who are ignorant. And sometimes ignorance is not something that can be frowned upon. It's not like, well, well what do you want me to do? I've never even been outside this little area exactly. where I live. So I have no idea how They just have exists. to learn. I mean, my right. wife even said she's from, you know, the middle of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a very met, interesting state, by the way. Very interesting on every aspect. I love it. I've grown a deep love for Georgia, yeah. but it came out of a massive amount of confusion for many years. Yeah, it was like one of those <laughs> states that I went to that when you think of Atlanta, at least for, for me, yeah. when you think of Atlanta, you think of, first of all, in every state, the biggest city isn't kind of what's going on like around the city. Yeah. So if you go to... Um, let's say Chicago, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, if you go to Chicago, it, it's going to look different than the other neighboring cities in Illinois. Yeah. Because the biggest cities are usually more diverse. So I, my, you know, idea of Atlanta was like, it was so diverse. It was so many black people. And then I go to Atlanta and I realize how actually segregated Atlanta is. Crazily so. I was blown away. Yeah. But you never really notice until you actually visit. And then the neighboring cities around they even get more segregated. Yeah. So, I mean, it was something, you know, it, it, Georgia's a very interesting state. Atlanta actually was like, you know, I assumed every big city would be like New York. 
And in a way it is, but in a way it's completely different. I mean, New York is like is is unlike any other city. Because I thought the same thing. Even traveling to the West Coast, traveling down south, traveling to the right. northwest, traveling in the middle of the country. Yeah, when I went to a big city, I expected certain things. And right. I just Especially like living and growing up around here. In New York, it was almost like we weren't given a choice to be tolerant of other people. They're like, no, if you want to survive, you have to, you just have to be tolerant and deal and and understand other cultures and understand everything. Every single person in New York knows a handful of conversational Spanish just to get by in life. Exactly. I mean, you know exactly what to ask for even in the Asian neighborhoods, you know how to pronounce the dishes you want at least because they won't give it to you. Otherwise your neighborhood. I I don't know because you recently moved, but it's, it's very Greek, very Greek. So I love that about New York. Yeah. How like one area is very Greek. One area is very Italian. And it's all because 300 years ago, one family got off the boat and settled there. There. And then everyone else started cousins over. Call everybody. Hey, let's go up here. Oh, why why don't we go to, uh, Astoria, okay. You know, we set up shop, set up our markets, set up our restaurants. Yeah. I think that that is fantastic, and that's what's so. Uh, that's what's fun about and Harlem eating. is like that, right? That's yeah, where, you know, uh, Harlem's had its movements, ups and downs, its evolutions, but ultimately, this is where you know the people of color settled, the churches, mm-hmm. the food, the music, the jazz. So Harlem became that area. Yeah, it's. Harlem specifically has changed so much. Even well, in, yeah. I've been in the city for like ten years, and it's changed so much. Crazy. I can't imagine what it every looks month like to it you. looks different to me. It's just like I've been here since just 04. around these blocks. There's just there's some expensive restaurants on the same block. It's <laughs> crazy. I mean, I think you know, there's there's no choice, in my opinion, for an area or city to actually evolve forward. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that's kind of what's happening in here in this neighborhood. Well, you still want to try to keep the fabric of what kind of built it. I agreed, but you also invite, you know, a different perspective. You know, it, when 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 Harlem started to become since I've been here in '04, when Harlem started to become a little gentrified, I was very open to it as long yeah. as we kept the fabric of what it is. As long as it was, yeah, the, the original culture is right. is like, respected. Don't, don't um, dismay the music, the food. Yeah. Come and enjoy it. Don't come and try and change it. Yeah. But come and and you know and and I think that to a certain extent that is happening. Um, but you know I think that it's important to have you know different cultures and ideas and you know different you know avenues to coexist with people. Yeah. And I was always open for the gentrification as long as it stayed the fabric of what Harlem was built on. There are some areas in New York that with gentrification has gone overboard and the other way. And that's something that at least I've noticed in the last couple of years, Harlem has been surviving by keeping its original soul intact. Well, I mean, I drove by a whole foods on the way here and I was just like, what, where did that come? You know what happens when whole foods come? It's like, wow. But you know, I think you have to look at it from, you know, a, a perspective like okay well whole foods kind of gives you this idea that a neighborhood has to be a certain way mm-hmm. but not really it's like okay well why don't we introduce to this culture that you know healthy food yeah <laughs> but no but and, and it's that, such a brand that people just kind of exactly. think like okay well oh boy here, there goes harlem whole foods came and i'm like I no i don't think it has to be that way yeah 
You know, why do I have to go all the way downtown to go to Whole Foods? Why can't I just walk over to the Whole Foods right here? My one, I mean, as some as, as a white guy in New York City, mm-hmm. I've benefited greatly from gentrification, and you know that's just a privilege as a as a white man that I understand is right. that I am ne- I. But th- it's something that always worries me in the fact of now Harlem's managed to keep a lot of its original culture intact, but a lot of neighborhoods haven't. And a lot of the people who live there for generations are now getting forced out um, it by, by just increase in prices. Yeah. And it, is there, a, I, it's interesting. I, is there any way to, Improve the value of a neighborhood without far, having to push without out having to push out the people it. exactly. You know that is um, something that is there's like you know trying to figure out an equation to a, a math problem. It's like very difficult because people, the city, mm-hmm. neighborhoods are starting to figure out the value yeah. of homes. Let's say in real estate is probably the number one. Yeah, uh, driver of this, so they're starting to understand the value. The value of homes are going up, especially yeah. in New York, and because of that, you know, I mean, this this is you know all kind of race class situations. People can't afford, you know, all these you know these homes, the brownstones, yeah. the apartments, the rent to buy, and all this other stuff. Even the restaurants, yeah, even the restaurants, they can't afford the the rent in some of the spaces. So what happens? A more established restaurant will come from downtown or you know maybe a different you know different cuisine which i love i love all the different yeah places to go and eat but i don't know the only solution i could give is to to maintain that a level of percentage of every building apartment has to have affordable living it has to no i i I couldn't agree with that more because it's someone like when i first saw then that's still only very minute because you know these developers, they're like, okay, well, if one percent of my building is going to be, or if a half a percent of the building is going to be for affordable living, yeah, you know, they say, well, okay, I, I still need to, I'm, I'm developing this because I bought the land and I can put whatever I want here because yeah. the market is calling for more space, more the area, more whatever it is, and so it's hard to kind of control it, and yeah. people are getting pushed out. They're getting pushed up. They're getting pushed up, and, and they're, they're getting, getting pushed, pushed out, and. They're getting pushed into different towns. I I was just in, even upstate, like that whole Upper Hudson line is people yeah. just getting pushed farther and farther out farther. and having to live farther and farther from the city. Yep. And and having longer and longer commutes to come mm. into work. I mean, honestly, if we didn't Craigslist luck upon this apartment mm-hmm. that we just moved into, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we would have had to do the same thing because we yeah. talked about it. We're like, if we want. To live in anything mm-hmm. larger than this 400 square foot you know fifth floor walk up apartment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're we might have to leave because yeah. even and and i'm part of the i think the new york generation of the people who moved here within the last five to ten years who are what, the people driving the gentrification and mm-hmm. it's something that i understand mm-hmm. doing that right and at first i when i was moving i didn't understand the issue mm-hmm. I was like, you mean you just from your new apartment just from your last apartment or oh just no no no, no. when i first moved to new york okay. i didn't understand the issue where i was like why are people upset that there's now these better restaurants going in and better places uh, how could this be a bad thing and it fear. wasn't till that living was fear here. that yeah. was that, that's more like those people were, were afraid because yeah. they they were smart enough to understand that 
well, if these schools are coming here, these mm-hmm. restaurants are coming here, then that means that a different demographic is coming here and I'm not going to be able to afford to stay. Yeah. So it wasn't the fight of, you know, usually with when, when there's a, a problem, it's not the actual problem or the actual issue that's the problem. It's kind of what's going on in the background. Yeah. And these people were like, okay, well, if, like I said, if these restaurants are coming, then, you know, I can't afford that. Then that means that somebody up here is going to come up here that can. Exactly. And, you know, my rent is going to be pushed up and I'm going to be pushed out. So that's kind of what the resistance yeah. is or was. Right, which I still understand. There has to be some sort of, exactly as I said, decision made where we're like, okay, we can develop, go forward, make things better. But you, there has to be some sort of affordable housing, some sort of affordable situation in right. place where you're not pushing out these generations who've been here forever and forever. built the city into what it is and what yeah. it was like yeah. we're on like the tail end because we live in Astoria Queens mm-hmm. which used to be I mean it's all Greek um, or was all Greek back mm-hmm. in the day and it was real cheap and then what happened was it started getting a little nicer and I I, I was part of the group of artists that moved to the community mm. so we're paying a little bit higher rent but still like more affordable than like the old Greek families mm-hmm. so we're driving up prices and then in order to entice the young artists these new bars and restaurants come in and property keeps going up. Now the young artists are getting pushed out for the young professionals making 200 K a year and living that. And then they're moving out and mm-hmm. onward into the next thing. Well, if you look at like, if you, if you can look at New York city and kind of put your finger like in the middle of it, it's kind of like imploding outwards. Yeah. And that means that everything that surrounds those very opulent areas of New York there's more people coming yeah every day, every year there's people selling here people moving here that it had new york had no choice but to develop those areas around it williamsburg turned into it, williamsburg used to be dangerous now yeah. it turned into one of these neighborhoods where you know you got three four five million dollar brownstones and the jay-z same, said it in his last one of his last songs where he goes i had a chance to buy um, a building for two million in Dumbo before it was Dumbo, Dumbo. and now it's worth like <laughs> I don't know. he goes now it's you know a couple of years later he goes now it's worth ten million yeah and it's like it's yeah those the, who were able to kind of see what was going on like wait a minute this you know and that's kind of why I bought up here because when I bought up here like fourteen fifteen years ago it was still a little rough yeah. you know and but I knew I said I knew that it. It's impossible for it. It ha- it's going to happen. Yeah. So if you could see that, if you could figure it out, you know. I remember when I first bought up here, my family, um, at the time, my wife, now my ex-wife, you know, they all looked at me like, "Chris, what are you doing?" I said, "Trust me." Yeah. In fifteen years, in twenty years, you're gonna look at this neighborhood and say, "I wish I would have done it." If you don't do it. Yeah. Because it's gonna happen. Laura and I were even looking as as far out as like. You know, flushing in Jamaica, Queens, just being like, should we, yeah, try to buy now? Just East because- Harlem, like East Harlem, is yeah. the same. Like it's an area that's you know it hasn't developed yet, mm-hmm. but now there's that new train, the yeah. new Q, I think. The Q, which they strategically stopped at 96th Street, yeah, which is a little that's little true. fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah. Now as a guy, I can uh, mention like, oh, you conveniently stopped stop. it dead in the center of the upper uh, right. east side and didn't go farther into i don't know now imagine if it went further but you still have the four five yeah six but no, there's still trains yeah there's still trains yeah. but imagine like if it went even higher i mean like if if i had 
more expendable income, yeah. I would buy a brownstone in East Harlem in a second. Because I know that eventually, eventually, whenever eventually is, it's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Especially the fact it's still part of Manhattan. Like right. Manhattan is never going to not be Manhattan. <laughs> yes, it's East Harlem. Yes, it's Inwood. Yes, yeah. it's up there. But yeah. I had this girl, people are still going to want to be in Manhattan. One of my really good friends, she came up, and this was maybe about 10 years ago when I bought up here. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, <clears throat> if I try to buy the same house now uh, that I bought 14 years ago, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Yeah. But she came up and she said, she looked up at the house. She says, oh, my God, this brownstone is so beautiful. She says, I wonder how much it would cost in Manhattan. <laughs> I said, you're, like, you know you're in Manhattan. But that's the idea. They yeah. don't even think oh, that they're yeah. even in the city. My, zip, my, my address is New York, New York. Yeah. But they have this idea that New York is only downtown. Oh, I know. As a as a I've lived in Queens my entire time in man in New York and it's mm-hmm. the same thing. They're like, We live in New York City, where? Where do you live? And they expect me to say the Empire State Building right. or something or like that. Thirty fourth and eighth. Like no. Yeah. It's like, no, I live in Queens. And they're like, Oh, that's kinda like Long Island. I'm like, it's not at all. Not even close. <laughs> it's, it's New York. It's but, New York. But okay. Right, right. So that's people's, you know, ideas of kind of they think like New York is just this kind of shaped area when in fact it's it's vast. It's, it's big. It's huge. And it's East a Harlem massive city. It's New York City. So if you think of it in those terms, you got to say, well, eventually all of New York City is going to be developed. Yeah. Of course, some areas slower than others, but it would be a really smart idea to go over there. I always tell people, they're like, no, it, New York City's kind of small. I'm like, Manhattan's small. New York yeah. City is not small at all. Yeah. I said, here's an example. 20 I do. by 20? How big is Manhattan? Uh, well, New York City has about two and a half million people. Just New York City, right? No, eight million. What you mean of all the in all the in boroughs. all the boroughs? Yeah, right. yeah. Manhattan has about like two and a half million right, or something right, right. like that. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah, on a twenty by twenty square mile island. Exactly, and they have. Um, I always tell people they're like, no, it's not that big at all. I'm like, well, here's an example. I do every now and then I'll do the bike New York, which happens once a year, where mm. it's just it's a it's like a closed off bike ride where you go. And you touch all five boroughs, right? And you just go through all five boroughs. That's a forty-five mile bike ride to go through to to make it so you can. All you do is touch, and you nip, you know, you nip the Bronx for two seconds and come all the way. Mile. It's wow. a forty-five mile ride. It's a big city. That's big. Yeah, it's huge. But you know, we we we're you know compiled of different boroughs, and then you know when people think of New York City, they, they think it's just Manhattan. New York is all the boroughs. Yeah, Brooklyn. Queens, Bronx, Manhattan, Staten Island—you know—it's all New York. It's an amazing place. Have you always been in New York since you started modeling and whatnot? I mean, I moved from Patterson to like northern New Jersey, like to the point where I literally lived on the water. Yeah, on the Hudson, um, in Edgewater, which is like a weird and that whole area of Jersey. I mean, it's New yeah. Jersey, but it's almost like the sixth borough. It's the sixth borough, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's literally—I used to take the ferry into the city every day. Yeah, and then. I started to realize that there was so much construction going on. Mm-hmm. There was like every year there were two different uh, projects of two bedroom, two baths going up. And I said, wait a minute, I got a two bedroom, two bath. Eventually, when all these buildings go up, there's going to be 15,000 two bed, two baths on the market. Yeah. So either I sell now and then move to the city or I'm going to be caught up in this whirlwind of the two bath. 
two yeah. bedroom kind of cookie cutter situation that when someone goes to buy, they're going to have 95 options to go look. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, as best I can, whenever I do situation or whenever I buy property, I kind of think forward, which sometimes isn't good because I don't really live like in the moment of where I'm actually living. Yeah. But you almost got to think forward. I'm like, if I don't get out of here now, I'm going to be stuck. And then lo and behold, the woman that bought from me, she tried to sell it in a couple of years after that. And the realtor, because she did the deal, she told me, she said, it took her five or six years to sell it. Jeez. So it was just a matter of me saying, you know what, it's time to go. And then I wanted to kind of be here in the city just to be yeah. in it. So. You made a very smart decision. The fact that you have a, you're, yeah. li you're living in a brownstone in Harlem now. You are, yeah. you made the very correct decision. I, I call this brownstone the great mistake, man. It's like you, you never even know. It's like when if you would have saw this house when I first bought it, you would have been like, "Are you out of your mind?" Yeah, it was empty. It was a rundown. It was it was it was empty for two years. I mean, it's years. so beautiful now. But. Yeah, I mean, it took me two and a half years in a marriage yeah. to do it, but <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just it was just it was awful. But I yeah. I walked in. You know that um, I don't know if you ever seen Titanic. In the beginning of the movie, they walk into like this. Um, they walk into the ship and it's all like, you know, dilapidated and, you know, from being in the sea. Yeah, yeah. But while they're going in there, it actually kind of like opens up forms to what it used into to be. what it yeah. used to be. That's kind of what happened when I walked into the brownstone. I saw things that no one else saw. And, you know, even my mom was like, Are you out of your mind? I mean, everyone thought I said, Trust me, I see it. Yeah. I see it. So, you know, that's kind of why I decided to dump all my money, life saving, sanity, and everything else into it. Well, I knew eventually it'd be worth it. Oh, it paid off. Yeah. It, it definitely did pay off. Nice. It's awesome. So going through that, you've, you've had such an amazing career, not just with Ralph, but with so many other brands and mm -hmm. whatnot. And you've kind of been shifting in the last couple of years more into being not just like like a lifestyle guru itself. You're, you're the world of Chris Collins. Yeah. Where it's kind of... It's like taking lessons you learned growing up with Ralph and whatnot to make your own world. And it's not just that you've kind of curated this this very specific, very individual style, but you're even expanding on that even further with you just released a fragrance. Yeah. Well, it, it be before the fragrance, you're right, I kind of went to um, being like a curator. Yeah. Because I kind of understood that there were people that are actually interested in understanding from people like me and yourself, mm -hmm. um, things that they learn when they travel, things that they learn when they experience different, um, to have different experiences that some people may not, you know, be fortunate enough to have. So I said, you know what, let me talk about it. Let me yeah. write about it. Let me shoot some videos about it. Um, and it started by doing that. And then I quickly realized that I wasn't that great at that. But what I was always interested in doing and which I thought I would be really good at is kind of creating my own brand from what I learned from like Ralph Lauren. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I could have taken those 20 years and just, you know, made the money, you know, been a model, and, you know, and rode off into the sunset. But I did more than that. I kind of you know, understood like how he built himself from just making ties in 1967 yeah. all the way to like where he is now. And, you know, like the, 
you know what he wants his brands to stand for and all that stuff so i took everything i learned from him and just said you know what you know i want to do something that i've always been obsessed with always been interested in which was fragrance yeah. and kind of use what i learned and put it into my own brand and you know it's been you know, it's only been about a few months, but so far, so good. Well, a few months since launch. It's been a few years. Months. Oh, it's been of years since putting it together. I mean, I lived in France working with perfumers. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, I I I say that it takes it takes your savvy in business and creativity um, to actually be able to do something like this. Yeah. And I never went to business school. I had no idea how any of this shit worked. Um, I just kind of had some good people around me that gave me some good advice. But, you know, you just have to just thrust yourself into it and just do it and figure it out and hope you don't mess up. Was fragrance something you were always attracted to? Always. Even since a kid. When I when I was 14, my mom, because, you know, at 14, I was 6'2 already, so oh, I was I huge. Yeah. So I said, Mom, I really want to get a job. She says, okay, well, you're not going to be able to get a job because you're 14. I said, well... Can I lie? I mean, because you have to be 17. So she said, well, you look, you know, big enough. She said, okay, well, we'll say you're 17. So she literally, I mean, I don't know if I should be saying this, but she literally <laughs> helped me forge my birth certificate so I could get a job. Oh, my God. At a deli in the mall Jeez. over in Jersey. So, you know. I think was, the statute of limitations has passed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a long time ago. So I, I think I'm good. Oh. So, you know, I was making about 425 an hour. I was really happy. But the first thing I bought when I cashed my first check was I went to Macy's and bought a fragrance. I bought Obsession for Men. That's the okay. first thing I ever bought with my money. Actually, I bought that, and the same day I bought a CD. I think it was like Anita Baker or something like that. Yeah. But I was like, I was so interested in fragrance. It was I was just it was just something that just you know even as a kid when my dad wore fragrance, it was just something that I was always intrigued by. So, but I never knew it. Yeah. I just thought it was something that I loved. Something that I was interested in, actually obsessed with, it was more important for me for people to say, "Wow, Chris, you smell so good." Yeah. Rather than say, "Chris, you look good." Well, I mean, there's been studies done that smell triggers memory more than any other sense. It is the one sense that is directly connected to the part of your brain that deals with memory. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all had both that good and bad memory. Yeah. We've all had that experience where all of a sudden we're walking, and it could be something as simple as like 100. Like the way the rain's coming off the concrete and it'll take you back to like summer as a little kid, yeah. like like waiting for the rain to stop so you could finish your street ball game. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, you know, it could literally bring you back to a, a moment in your childhood. Yeah. And that's unbelievable. So, you know, it was just always something that I was always intrigued by. And I ended up meeting and working with a perfumer. His name is Killian. And, um, I learned more about perfumery, not just luxury, not just mm -hmm. what I learned from Ralph, um, but more about perfumery. And I was like, man, this is just fascinating. It's just, it's something that if I was able to bring people with me on the journey, then they would understand. It's just something that is just, it's so creative. It's almost like magical, like working with these perfumers. They're it's artists. Almost, it's, it's like alchemy in a way. Yeah. Is them creating. Exactly. Not to, I mean, by creating these scents from, I mean, I have no idea right. how they well, do it. I but. mean, you put it, you hit it right on the button. That's why the byline of my company is Alchemy of Fragrance. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it is. And my definition that I take from Alchemy, there's many definitions, but 
the one that I take is taking something like individual notes, mm-hmm. individual ingredients, and by themselves, they have very little value. I mean, they have value, mm-hmm. but the value that they have when you combine them to make a fragrance makes them greater. And that alchemy is that that journey from doing that, from bringing those individual ingredients, working with these perfumers, and then putting together these different scents is something that is magical, spiritual yeah. in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, so you actually went to perfume school in France, essentially. Well, I what? went to, so in the south of France, there's an area called Grasse. Mm-hmm. And... You know, history would tell it that this is where perfume was born. Mm-hmm. Like all the perfumers, they have to go through a training that usually ends up going through grass or through the south of France. And I went there and I lived and I worked with perfumers. So I didn't actually go to perfume school because I would tell people quickly that I am not a perfumer. Mm-hmm. I'm just the designer of the fragrances and I work with very talented perfumers. I mean, sometimes people would you know, distinguish me as the master perfumer. But, you know, I don't want to take away from what these people, men and women, do, these perfumers, because it is... I mean, they're masters of their arts, yeah. It's unbelievable. And, you know, but again, I help construct it. We start from notes that I love. We change dosages. We combine different ingredients. Uh, I tell them what I want it to feel like because it has to tell a story that I have that I want to tell. Yeah. So you know, I design the actual fragrances, but you know, putting it together, I gotta work closely with a, a perfumer. Yeah. Speaking of stories they tell, would you mind sharing with us? Like, so you have three main fragrances: three. Mm-hmm. Um, Harlem Nights, yep. um, uh, Renaissance Man, mm-hmm. and Dan Sauvage. Dan Is Sauvage. that how you say it? Yes. <laughs> Dan Sauvage. Dan Sauvage. Yeah, which is French for Savage Dance. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are what are some how did you create the stories of those smells? Well, all three fragrances is a uh, um, it, it, it's a dedication to the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. So all three scents. I mean, my my idea to do my fragrances, my fragrance collection was born here in Harlem. So I wanted to dedicate those three scents to to Harlem and its rich history. Um, that's why Renaissance Man talks about the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Harlem Nights is the is my interpretation of Harlem at night. Mm-hmm. You know, very romantic, very moody. Um, could be dark, could be interesting, could be lively. So I wanted to make sure we use all the notes that could tell that story. Yeah. Um, and Down Savage um, was my. With the story behind that is. Uh, when Josephine Baker lived in Harlem before she left to go to Paris, mm-hmm. uh, well, she performed here. You know, she performed like the speakeasies and the bars and the jazz bars, and she left to go to Paris, and during World War One, and she was uh, instantly accepted by the French, hmm. and they, you know, she performed in many clubs, but her style was just so crazy. Um, that the French didn't know what to call it. So they called it the Dan Sauvage. They called it the Savage Dance. So I wanted to make sure that that fragrance was wild. And, you know, it has cognac in it. It has yeah. cedarwood. It has plum. I mean, it's it's kind of, it's my sexiest scent because I thought Josephine Baker was extremely sexy. Yeah. So each fragrance kind of has to tell the story of 
the notes and what it, you know, when you smell it and when you tell someone the name of it and you describe what's in it, it has to tell the exact story of what you wanted to depict. So I try to do that as best I could. Um, like a Renaissance man, Renaissance is French for rebirth. So I wanted to use like fresher notes, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, people to feel reborn when they wear it, to yeah. feel rejuvenated when they wear it. So I used um, a lot of like, I used some ocean uh, notes called cologne. Um, I used like some citrusy scents like bergamot to make it feel fresh, but I also used some very, you know, um, quote unquote manlier notes like mm-hmm. tobacco and leather. So I'm, I wanted to kind of round it out yeah. to be, you know, interesting, but still feel fresh and still feel kind of like what's happening here in Harlem. Well, they smell incredible. Thank you. I love you. Had an amazing th- you had an amazing launch party over it. So you're uh, on sale at the men's store in Bergdorf Goodman's. I am. Yeah, at Bergdorf Goodman. That's like your your main flagship there. That's the flagship. They yeah. can also check you out on worldofchriscollins.com. Absolutely. They can actually go there and they can read more of the stories yeah. about the fragrances. And if you want to if you want to try them, I have a discovery set, very inexpensive, about 20 bucks. You can try them and then you could see what fits better on your skin. Yeah. And then you can go back to the site or buy it, or you can go to one of the stores where I'm sold. It, they they smell so good. Thank yeah, you. Like, I, I think Dan Sauvage is your favorite. No, Harlem Nights is. Harlem Nights is my favorite. Harlem Nights yeah. Is. I yeah. love Harlem Nights. There's some rum in there, some sandalwood. Yeah. It's some just. Some nutmeg. And that's the thing. You do a very good job of balancing because you bring it, you, you do say masculine, but you do, Harlem Nights and other ones. It, I don't know. It can go either way. It can be a woman's fragrance well, easily. Well, you know, the reason why, the reason why, first of all, you know, I consider myself to be pretty masculine. So I'm going to yeah. make sense that I enjoy. Definitely. So people don't really know, but the only note that kind of separates or notes that separate quote unquote masculine from feminine sense is a floral note. Yeah. So if people, if a fragrance has gardenia, lots of it, rose, whatever it is, whatever um, floral note that is, usually people consider that to be the main divider between masculine yeah. and feminine no, uh, fragrances. But I just wanted to make beautiful fragrances that I would love to wear. Yeah. In the beginning when I was developing, one of the things that I kind of, well, which one, of the, one of the things that was the hardest thing to figure out was what fragrance should I be releasing because I was trying to make everyone happy. Yeah. I you're gonna love a scent, someone else might hate it. Yeah. Another three people may like it, and someone else may not, you know, it may not be for them. So I said to myself, I need to make fragrances for myself and just hope that other people would actually enjoy them. So when I took that um, point of view to actually develop, it made it easier for me. Because yeah. I was trying to make the market happy, which you can't. No. Artistry is You'll not never that. know. You never and know. And that's the thing, because perfume, it, it, it's a type of artistry. It's the same as... A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that I developed just beautiful scents, and they came out manly. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't design a fragrance for a man. I designed it a fragrance for people. Yeah. And the great thing about women, they are so confident and themselves mm-hmm. which is so beautiful that they actually wear men's scents sometimes better than men yeah oh absolutely so we wanted to make men feel comfortable wearing it 
um, wearing the fragrance and, you know, it's coming from me. I'm in front of the brand. I'm all over social media. Yeah. You know, you know, part of the brand, the creative of the brand, everything. So it just ended up turning out being a men's fragrance. Mm-hmm. But women still love it, which, you know, I appreciate because they're confident enough to wear men's scents. Absolutely. I hear all the time from women, I love manly scents. I don't like really super floral scents. I was like, well, you now, know. And, and I'm glad that you, because I, I just learned that, that mm. the whole, the floral notes are what separated. Because yeah. I never understood, because there are scents that I smell and I'm just like, well, this is, this is a woman's perfume. Right. I'm not going to And, and it's usually like a heavy doses of floral. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the, the. Uh, perfumes and colognes that my wife likes to wear are very floral based, whether they're like peony or gardenia or rose or right. something like that. And that's a, another um, thing that I learned, you know, it, that I didn't know when I first started buying fragrance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and notice that I always call um, my creations fragrances because there's different level of fragrance. Yeah. There's cologne, there's perfume, and there's uh, something called et a toilette. Yeah. So all these years, us men thought that we wore cologne. Yeah. <laughs> when in fact, uh, well, we wore cologne and women wore perfume. So yeah. that was always this distinction. All my fragrances are perfume. Yeah. So what most men don't understand is that all perfume means is that it's a high level of oil concentration. Of the scent oil. Of the scent oil. Okay. So when you make a fragrance, it's usually... 80 to 95 percent alcohol mm-hmm. and then you know a couple other things that have to stabilize it and make it you know yeah. healthy um but the percentage of fragrance oil that you put in it will just dis- make a distinction of what it is so colognes which men and women can wear just have only five percent fragrance oil hmm. so the more alcohol in it the faster it evaporates from your skin yeah the perfumes stay longer because it has more fragrance oil so when when it's okay for men to wear perfume because that means you're just wearing a high quality fragrance so that's what i have to teach men yeah you're wearing perfume but it's okay no totally <laughs> well that's the thing it, and that's it, that's such a great conversation because oh, yeah. you learn something right and Whereas i think i'm you, the only person who actually am willing to have the conversation and i don't think that that's, it doesn't scare me away like right. i've for one i've smelled it so i love the smell of it well, but if you had told me flat out like oh i made a men's perfume i would right. kind of be you'd be a little hesitant a little hesitant right yeah. but you know again you travel the world yeah. you know luxury you see you you eat at a great restaurant like you like there's some people who i literally have to introduce it to and let them know that okay I need, there's an educational process to it. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, and most men are like willing to listen and they hear and they understand. And, you know, it's just letting them know that perfume is just the quality of it. It's, it doesn't yeah. mean that you're wearing something that's made for women because exactly. that's not the case. Well, it is the best perfume I've ever worn. Thank you. I can tell you that much. Well, you know, that's why I call it fragrance. No, I mean, but it also is one of the best fragrances yeah. I've ever worn. I really, truly love it. I highly encourage everybody please go check out the world of chris collins they smell incredible uh chris thank you so much for being My a pleasure. part of this this has been a lot of fun yeah it's been fun man. awesome this is all the conversations that you and i have had for the last couple of years sitting in a trailer somewhere exactly we're driving around an rv just just talking i think everything we, we actually talked about we one way or another we kind of had like you know 
a discussion about it. So this at is one great. point, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's Broken been up. awesome. Yeah. Uh, everyone, please check out worldofchriscollins.com and follow him on all the social medias at worldofchriscollins. Yep. And we'll talk to you soon, man. Thank yeah. you so much for being a part of this. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Have fun. All right, have a good one. Thanks. Man. Guys, he's amazing. Thank you very much, Chris Collins, for coming and talking to us. I could talk to him for hours and hours and hours. The man is a wealth of knowledge and experience, and I look up to him very much. So thank you guys for listening. Please follow him at World of Chris Collins. Uh, please buy his fragrance. It smells nice. Harlem Nights is my favorite. I recommend you try it. And we'll see what's happening with him next. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O. Please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bigthingspod. And email us at our website, bigthingspod.com. Fill out a little thingy and send it to us. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Thank you for being such amazing listeners. And without further ado, everyone remember to go out in the world and do big things. Ta-da.